Welcome to A Better Way Podcast with your host, Ryan Haley. Learn to excel in business God's way, where the supernatural meets the practical. Experience a better way to succeed and learn from real-life business owners and entrepreneurs who have prospered in unconventional ways. Be inspired by their true stories and realize that prayer can become your practical source of provision when you embrace walking by faith and not human sight. And now, here's your host, Ryan Haley. Welcome back to A Better Way Podcast. It's been a while and I apologize for that, everybody. I've been working on the book, but this is a milestone episode. This is our 50th episode, which is why it is a great pleasure and honor for me to introduce our guest today, Paul Moore. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Ryan. Now, Paul, you have a podcast and several books about real estate investing called How to Lose Money and a couple other things that we'll go into But I want to tell our listeners for this episode that what I loved about our connection was that I recognized you first on Bigger Pockets, which is a huge real estate investor forum. And I didn't know you were a believer, but I I recognized you as a consummate professional and business person with integrity, excellence, and competence. And then through a mutual friend of ours, when I found out you were a believer, it made it that much more sweet to me to be able to make the connection. So I was delighted to find out you were a believer after I knew that you were a very professional business person. And uh, that's a a theme I talk about in the book as well. So I'm excited to have you on the show, Paul, and uh, go into your uh, story here. And why don't you just give us a quick two or three minute background of uh, your spiritual and or professional life that you think would be relevant and set in the Yeah, thank you, Ryan. So I'm looking for a graphic designer, if you know one, to put a fish on my business card and my forehead and my and everything. So until we find that, uh, I'll just... Keep being an undercover Christian. (laughs) No, seriously. um, Yeah, I got, uh, I was a misguided kid. I wanted to be a parapsychologist. I wanted to be like a ghostbuster. I was always interested in supernatural stuff, but I didn't have any idea. You know, I mean, I went to church, but not seriously at all. And um, my, uh, I, I got an engineering degree, which was my first mistake. And then I got an MBA <laughs> after that, which was not a mistake. And I went to Ford Motor Company. I loved Ford. I, I, I really didn't hate corporate America like a lot of people do. But I actually found myself like the second month I was there, I was trying to scheme up some entrepreneurial thing on the side. <laughs> so my buddy and I, who both went to Ohio State, both went to Ford. He, he lasted 13 months there and he actually went out and started a company and I joined him uh, a few years later. And we, uh, we had a fun time. We hit everything just right. And uh, I was finalist for Entrepreneur of the Year a couple of times in Michigan. And then we sold our company to a publicly traded firm who actually, these guys were believers as well. And they actually had the mm-hmm. same supernatural kind of business mindset that we'll talk about in a while. And then I, I started a nonprofit organization to minister to international students. I moved mm. to Blue Ridge Mountains. We bought 120 acres on the top of a mountain. And, you know, I found that I got bored really quick. And, you know, to be a type A 34 year old entrepreneur, like kind of acting like I was semi retired was a huge mistake. And maybe we'll get back to that. But I'll tell you, and then I jumped into real estate investing. I've done like a, just over a dozen different things in real estate investing. 
And now I'm in commercial real estate. We basically give investors who want an on-ramp into commercial real estate the opportunity to, without putting up millions of dollars and signing their life away, to get involved in really big commercial projects. We vet the operators. We present them to investors. And it's just been really, really fun. That's what I've been doing. But I'll tell you, a lot of my problems over the years, Ryan, came because of one very big problem I had. And that problem was right here. If you can see the video, I'm talking about between my ears. The problem was I believed in a false dichotomy. It was the secular, sacred dichotomy. And I used to even say things like, well, maybe someday I can graduate from this business stuff and get into full-time ministry. And maybe someday I could be like an administrative pastor at a church or do something like that. Or even if God really blesses me, maybe I could be a missionary. But this was a false dichotomy because, Ryan, I didn't know that as soon as I got saved, I was already in full-time ministry. I was drafted into the kingdom, and I had and continue to have more opportunities to impact the world, to rub shoulders with unbelievers than any pastor I know. In fact, uh, and so once I saw that, just about five uh, years ago, I was able to shift my thinking and say, okay, Lord, I am yours. And, And I always said that, but I am yours in business, and I don't aspire to do anything better than that. Hmm. You know, I learned about something that you and your listeners already know about, I'm sure, but it was the Seven Mountains. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that Lance Wall now is making that famous now, but, you know, Bill Bright and uh, Lauren Cunningham uh, both had dreams or visions in 19, I've heard 76, and I've heard 86, and they got together, they have the same vision, and they realized that the whole world was in in these seven major spheres of influence. And they are media, education, government and law, the arts and entertainment, which includes sports, family, religion, and business, which includes science and medicine. And the people at the top of these mountains control the whole mountain. In other words, there may be one or two percent of the people at the top that influence the entire mountain. An example of this is I meet, I've met some people in media who are in like liberal leftist media type things. And they're like, man, we're believers, but it's the people at the very top <clears throat> of our company who are dictating all these mandates that make us look and act so liberal. And so the problem is the church has believed for hundreds of years, if we only got people inside the walls of our church building in this one mountain, we'll get them saved. And then maybe if they're a really good business person, like a a billionaire or somebody like that, we'll give them a really important job, like counting the offering (laughs) or serving on the finance committee. And then, you know, and we've believed that the other six mountains are on their way to hell. Well, those liberals in Hollywood, you know, they're never going to change and they're, they're on their way to hell. And, and, you know, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And so uh, my desire, my passion has been to see, uh, you know, the, the Christians take their place, not necessarily as the very top dog 
in all these seven mountains, but as an influencer, because influencers can dramatically change the seven mountains. Um, here's a quick example, if you like a story. There was a guy named Mark, and Mark worked for a Jewish, unbelieving boss, and atheist, and he, at this company, Mark would go around and pray quietly over the different cubicles of the different employees there. And occasionally he'd have a chance to pray for an employee. Well, one day the CEO, the Jewish atheist boss came out and said he had this horrible headache. In fact, he had migraines, I think. And Mark gulped. And then he said, okay, I'm going to do it. So he went and said, hey, can I pray for you? And the guy's like, uh, <clears throat> Okay. And so Mark prays for him aloud, and the headache goes away immediately. Amen. So this Jewish unbelieving boss starts telling him, hey, will you pray for this or pray for that? Well, they were at a conference in Las Vegas, and the, they had rented a zip line thing. And so the boss was bringing all these new clients there as a sales thing and, and running them through the zip line. Well, there was a horrible storm coming in, Ryan, and the storm coming that way, the zip line operator goes, okay, well, here comes the storm. We're going to have to shut down, you know, liability and all that. And the boss was like pretty determined guy. And he said, um, hold, hold on. Hey, Mark, come here. <laughs> Mark, there's a storm coming in. And he's saying this in front of the clients. So I want you to go pray and the storm will turn and we want to shut down the zip line. So Mark goes, okay. <laughs> so Mark goes around the corner and says, hold on. And he starts texting his family and friends saying, please, please pray right now. Because this is what the boss is saying. Well, while he's texting them, he hears the boss around the corner saying, okay, so what's going to happen is Mark's going to pray and the <laughs> storm's going to turn in a different direction, maybe this way, who knows. And then we're going to keep enjoying our day at the zip line. And so Mark's <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Well, around that time, somebody texts Mark back. It was a kid, I think, of one of the people he texted and said, hey, I see in my mind's eye a big dome of protection over your zip line. And so Mark was encouraged by that. So he goes out and he prays this prayer. And anyway, the storm, as you can guess what's going to happen, the storm actually divided and went to the oh left and the right of the zip line. And somebody standing way, way back took a picture of it. And he said it looked like a dome of protection <laughs> over the zip line. <laughs> now, here's my point in telling that story. That's real fun. But who do you think the, the CEO of this company is going to call on when he's got a big problem? Who's he going to ask for for wisdom? Who's he going to potentially promote? And actually, who's going to have influence in that company? Well, this guy is. This guy doesn't have to be the owner or the CEO. And you don't have to be the principal of your school. And you don't have to be the lead producer in Hollywood. And you don't have to be the head of the record company in Nashville. But you can have an influence. And God can position you there just like he did Daniel, just like he did uh, Joseph, and just like he did uh, Esther. None of them became king or queen, but they all influence the course of history. And so that's what I'm really passionate about.
Amen. Yeah, I think uh, I may have mentioned this on an earlier podcast episode, but I love something that Lance Walnow talks about in his uh, quote unquote secular engagements, you know, as a coach or consultant to, you know, corporations and things is that, you know, we usually think of it as evangelize, you know, get them saved, then disciple them. And his thing is, no, it's the opposite. Many times you disciple them first. And inevitably, when they see that you've got the goods and they can't explain it, they come to you and ask, you know, where are you getting this from? Where, how are you doing this? And then that's the invitation to share with them. Okay, well, you know, uh, going to share and give uh, credit where credit's due. And this is where I get it from. And then you get to, you know, take that next step after you've already gained their trust and credibility, that relational and professional rapport that can lead into the, uh, the eternal transaction, if you will. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I love that. So Paul, tell us about, you've got a pretty amazing story of your own and uh, we'll talk more at the end about what you're doing now and commercial real estate and how people can get in touch with you. But you have a pretty dramatic uh, up and down roller coaster testimony And uh, I love the way that you got yourself out of it. Tell us about giving yourself out of a $2.5 million hole, I believe it was. Yeah. So, well, what happened is, um, so when we sold my company, I was actually partnering with a guy in Colorado Springs. We sold our company for almost $3 million. I was only 33. Wow. And I thought, I'm an investor now. And I actually wasn't an investor at all. I was a speculator. Mm. You know, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a profit. And speculating is when your principal is not at all safe Mm. and you've got a chance to make a profit. So I was speculating and I was um, involved in all these different real estate deals that were speculative in nature they didn't have a, a known cash flow stream like commercial real estate should. And they didn't have any, any value except what people arbitrarily assigned to them. Right. Which, again, is speculation. And so I found myself, I had like $1.5 million in the bank in 1997, 98, when we sold our company. And 10 years later, I, after all the speculation and the beginning of the recession hitting, I had grown that one and a half million to two and a half million in debt. <laughs> and so, so you went I from actually, positive 1.5 million to negative 2.5 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now the good news is I had real estate connected to all that debt. And so it wasn't like it was credit card or student loan or just, you know, money I had lost. And so it was late 2007. And it's hard for many of us to remember what it felt like to be at that time. But just as a reminder, we didn't know what was coming. Mm -hmm. We assumed we had already seen a lot of problems in real estate from Washington, D.C., all the way down through Virginia, where I was. We had seen problems since like 06. So, you know, 06, 07 were already kind of bad. And we were hoping the worst was over. (laughs) Now, we had an inkling that maybe the worst was yet to come, but we tried to close our eyes and ignore that. Right. And um, it was November 2007. And around that time, my business partner said, hey, I can't go on making these huge interest payments. I'm signing all the properties and all the debt over to you. Mm. And you'll have to take it from here. And I, I was like, I wasn't really upset, that upset with him. I kind of understood. We're still really good friends today. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I got the whole two and a half million dollars in debt instead of part of it. 
And so um, it was November 2007. I was sitting in my chair meditating like I often do. It was a Sunday morning. And I had this really distinct impression. I had been studying the life and teachings of George Mueller. And I had this question in my mind, WWGMD. Now, that doesn't mean what would (laughs) grandma do. It means what would George Mueller do? Now, as a reminder to the few people who don't know who that is, George Mueller was a 19th century hellion in Germany turned (laughs) saint in England. Uh, He moved to England and he actually became a pastor, a missionary, and he decided to make God look good Mm. by setting up orphanages. So he set up orphanages. He ultimately cared for just over 10,000 orphans in total. He lived through the whole 1800s. And he decided he would never, ever tell anybody his needs. He would never, ever say, hey, we need $10,000 or whatever to build this new building. He wouldn't tell anybody pounds, not dollars. But anyway, it's estimated that he raised three to five hundred million dollars in today's U.S. dollars, all by prayer, all by faith. And he had really radical ideas. He recorded everything in journals and writing. And he had radical ideas about marketing about debt. He was very opinionated. He hated marketing. He hated debt. And so I knew already, well, man, I was already in trouble. You know, I already had all this debt. So, but I thought, what would he do? Well, I went to church that Sunday morning and the pastor talked about, guess who? George Mueller. (laughs) I had no idea he even knew who he was. And uh, so um, Anyway, I really felt like the Lord was leading me to begin giving our way out of debt. So around that time in December of, of, seven, of 2007, a couple of friends met with me at a restaurant. They said, hey, how are you going to get out of this mess? It looks like you're going to have to declare bankruptcy, huh? And I said, no, I'm going to give my way out of debt. Well, that went over really well. And uh, they just shook their heads. And then I told my family, my wife was on board with it. The kids were too young to know any better, but I told them as well. And I said, we're going to watch. And whether God delivers us or not, we're going to trust him. And we're going to see what happens. So on January 1st, 2008, again, not knowing how bad things were about to get, we began giving a fairly large, even to this day, it would have been a large weekly tithe or offering every week to our church and to some nonprofits we cared a lot about. And we said, okay, we're going to see what God is going to do. Well, a big part of my debt was waterfront lots at this resort in Smith called Smith Mountain Lake, Virginia. And so I had all these lots, including one five-acre lot that I fully intended to divide into five one-acre lots. Well, I couldn't do that because the private road that ran in front of this land was not changed to a public road, as I thought it was inevitable that it would really soon when I bought it a few years before. That was the speculative mindset, by the way, that I had. I was counting on that. So I couldn't subdivide this land. Well, I was in a Subway restaurant about four weeks into January toward the end of the month. And a, uh, a real estate developer was there that I really respected. And I told him my problem. And he said, yeah, he said, you really ought to try this strategy for time's sake. I won't explain it. And uh, I said, yeah, I tried that. I looked into that. That won't work for me because of these reasons. And he said, you know, You might want to look at it differently. Just think about it. And right then a light bulb went off 
Mm-hmm. And I realized that, I mean, I just sensed that God was speaking. And so two days later, I'm with my surveyor who's like all nervous and we're sitting in front of the planning and zoning uh, board representative for the county. And we're laying out this outlandish idea to <laughs> subdivide this five acres into five one acre lots and make them much more sellable for a much, much higher price. And she looked up over her glasses and she just shook her head and she kind of smiled. She said, I've been working here for decades. No one has ever presented such an outlandish (laughs) idea. Then she smiled and said, but you found a loophole in our law that no one has ever found. I don't know how you did it, but (laughs) yeah, you can do this. Wow. And so now there was a lot of work left ahead, Ryan. There was another one year of difficulty, of real problems with banks attorneys, surveyors, all the money spent on soil tests and everything else. But at the end of 13 more months, and we were giving that whole time, and with the recession just with us plummeting down right into the hole, I think to punctuate this, God allowed me to sell three of those five, maybe four of the five waterfront lots in the very worst weeks of the recession, (laughs) which was September 15th. Yep. December 30th, which wow. was the true heart of the recession. Yeah, uh, I sold, I think it was four of the five lots right then. And within 13 months, we were completely debt free. Praise God. I love that. I love those situations where it's, it's so ridiculous. Like you said, punctuated just to make like God's making a point because when we want to make him look good, which I love what you said about George Bueller and that he makes us look good, you know, and people could look at you and say, Oh, you're so savvy. How'd you come up with this loophole? You must've been so insightful. And it's just like, you know, these are the things you can't take credit for. And that's precisely why they're so amazing, you know, because you can't explain it any other way besides God. Now I'm sure somebody could, you know, you could be uh, skeptical or look at this for a different way. And, you know, we can't prove that it is. That's why faith is required. Right. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I love where your faith started way before that where even in this difficult situation, you're like, you know what? We are going to do the exact opposite of what makes sense. We're struggling financially. We're going to give a significant portion of our income every week, not just once a month or whatever, like every week for 13 straight months. And then the payoff is you sell three or four out of the five lots at the worst possible time, which makes absolutely no sense. But you know, um, that's it. That's where God has to be the explanation and the, uh, supernatural meets the practical in business. And, uh, I just, uh, I didn't know that George Mueller had raised that much money in today's dollars. I knew he had done this whole, I knew his whole approach, but I had no idea the extent to which that worked. So, right. um, and guys who, whoever's listening right now, God is no respecter of persons. What he did for George Mueller, what he did for Paul Moore, what he's done for me, he can and will do for you. So it's just a matter of trusting him. And um, I want to make sure that I don't make this into a, you know, if you give, then you're blessed. You know, it's not a, it's not a, the the curse uh, or the blessing of the tithe. We're all under grace, but it has to do with the heart posture where you're trusting God in very practical ways where it really means something. And that's what you did, Paul. And I I love that uh, outcome. I love that journey that you went on with God and so 13 months now, you're completely debt-free. You're out of this $2.5 million hole. Take us from there into uh, what you learned both spiritually as well as professionally in real estate and what you're doing now. Yeah, so I got kind of confused. You know, I was like, well, okay, wait, so did God reward me for this or did he, 
I mean, I, I don't know. So I, I, since then, I've really had a lot of questions. You know, I don't think God is just some big vending machine, Ryan, where you just put in a quarter and, you know, you get your Reese's cup or whatever. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that that's how it works. I, I know he's relational and I know he wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to listen to me. And, you know, one thing I learned and it wasn't right then, but over the years since then, I learned that if I do business supernaturally, I am not supposed to crucify the resurrected man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I always thought, you know, if I could just crucify my desire for, let's say, music and movies and even making money, you know, that if I could just crucify these, then God could really use me. But hey, I found out that I was a resurrected man. Mm. And actually to crucify all those passions and desires and talents would be a mistake. You know, I'm reading through John again. And in John, I think it's chapter three, John the Baptist actually says, you know, he must increase and I must decrease. And there's definitely a point of that for the Christian life and our humility. But, you know, that's been misinterpreted too. I think that we think that we, if we could just die to everything we are and become this plain vanilla religious person, <laughs> that we could actually please God. But you know what? There is no one else on earth, Ryan, who was just like you, who has your exact passions, your desires, your talents, your relational circle, your education, your training. And I think that God, and I'm saying this to every listener, God has placed you right where you are to blossom as who you are today. Unless you're doing something sinful, you know, that's illegal or whatever, I think you're supposed to actually flourish right where you are. Amen. Um, there's a guy named Matt McPherson, and I actually was on a plane to meet him last year. My plane got delayed overnight, and I didn't get to, but I'm going to this year, I hope. Now, Matt McPherson was a traveling evangelist, and, and this is part of my story. This is something I learned, Ryan. Uh, he was a traveling evangelist, and he had like four kids. He was a worship leader. He had a passion for bow hunting as well. Mm. And so he would go on these weekend retreats and he would come home with like $28 in the offering. He's like, this isn't working for me. <laughs> and he also was trying to develop a better bow, like compound bows up through the, the, I think they were invented in 1967, if I'm not mistaken, all the way through the seventies, the eighties, they were like really like they didn't fire perfectly in the cams. There's two cams and they didn't turn perfectly precisely and because of that the arrow would go off target and this was a problem that everybody knew and nobody could solve hmm. well the one day the lord kind of whispered in matt's ear he said hey matt i've got the best solutions in the world for every problem in the world and matt you know it, it sounds like he was being a little smart alecky to god he, he didn't ask for the solution to world hunger. He didn't ask for, you know, how to create, how to bring peace on earth. He said, well, if you've got the best ideas for everything in the world, would you help me build a better compound bow? Hmm. Well, two weeks later, Matt reports, he was in the middle of a sound sleep and he woke up and there was a piece of notebook paper floating 
in front of Matt's <laughs> face with the three holes punched mm. and torn out of a notebook, it looked like. And there was a schematic, a hand-drawn drawing there of a different kind of compound bow that no human had ever come up with. Mm. And so he's looking at this and staring at it, and he gets a piece of paper and he starts copying it down. And his wife wakes up and says, what are, you, what are you doing? He said, I think I'm having a vision. <laughs> well, so Matt McPherson goes out and designs this and he gets a patent on it. Now, if any bow hunters are on the call, you're gonna know a little bit about this. In fact, um, you'll definitely know who this is. I will tell you that if you work for Kia Motor Car, or actually Honda Motor Car Company, you make a ton of cars, millions of cars a year, and you make a reasonable small profit on each car. Now, if you work for Rolls-Royce, you'll know that Rolls-Royce only makes a small number of cars every year, but they make a massive profit on every car. Matthews Bow Company, makes the most bows of any bow manufacturer in the world by far, and they make the largest profit per bow. I love it. That's what God <laughs> did because he taught, he showed Matt McPherson how to make the solo cam bow with a single cam that solved all those problems. And since then, he's got over 20 other major patents on compound <laughs> bows and he has the largest archery manufacturing equipment company in the world. And there's pickup trucks all over the country, including in the hills of Colorado that have Matthews written in gold cursive writing on the back window and their sticker. And it's amazing. Now, Matt, I have a friend who knows Matt and he said he still walks around the local mall in La Crosse, Wisconsin doing evangelism. Mm. And he even invented one of the best, get this, acoustic guitars on the planet. He invented a different kind of acoustic guitar as mm. well. It's used by Amy Grant and all kinds of famous musicians. It's the best guitar I've ever put my hands on, by the way. Mm. But the point of that is this, Matt didn't crucify the resurrected man. Mm. He expected God would use him right where he was. And so if you want to know what I have learned mm. in the years since then, that's what I learned, and that's what I hope that people can take away from this uh, discussion today. That is so beautiful, Paul. That I love that because uh, that's one thing I've learned too is that, like, you know, I need to minimize myself, I need to decrease so he can increase. But the thing is, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships. And when right. Jesus is increasing and you're really increasing with him, he's going to, instead of making you nothing and him everything, he's going to make you the fullness of who he created and designed yes. you to be before you were even formed in your mother's womb. And that's what's so beautiful. And nothing is outside beyond the pale of the holy or the righteous or the sacred, whatever you want to call it bow hunting. God knows that certain people love to hunt with their bows and that there's people that need solutions to this commercial real estate, you know, whatever that thing is guitars. Right. It's, it's, it's so tragic to me the way that so many people try to, you know, put their flesh under, so to speak, which, I mean, there's a, a right and a wrong way to do that, I think. But when you're suppressing the desires, the passions, the gifts, and the inclinations that God specifically wired you to bring to fullness and to bless other people with and be blessed in the process of doing that with, um, amazing things like that can happen. So right. I love that you brought that up. And even, guess what? Being 
a for-profit enterprise, you know, like it's not wrong to want to make money. Now, obviously if you're cheating people and breaking the law and doing all kinds of hurtful things, then that's not God's best, but he does want us to be profitable. He wants us to be productive, to increase, to be um, able to have the character to be promoted where we can steward large amounts of not only wealth, but influence and people like you talked about earlier. And that is that the natural world we live in wealth isn't is a pathway to greater influence. It doesn't have to be certainly Jesus is a good example. Not that he was poor. That's a whole other discussion, but um, we have the opportunity to let God show us who we are and bring that to fullness. And I have recently learned as I've been talking with you over just the past 24 hours, I can't believe it was just yesterday that we talked for the first time. um, You know, that I believe uh, God is, is really shown me that real estate is something that, is part of his plan for me. It's part of a better way. It's not this separate thing. You know, it's not like, well, I need to be focusing just on a better way. And then real estate, real estate is part of a better way. A better way is part of real estate. It all links together. And our divine appointment as I'm considering this now, I believe is a perfect example of this. And I'm really excited about what God has for both of us. But I love that you pointed that out because, um, we are made in God's image. And yes, there's a fall that we need to overcome through the grace of God and, um, being born again, but uh, that doesn't mean we have to forsake all the natural desires and inclinations right. he gave us. So thank you for sharing that. That is, that is a fantastic um, point and reminder. So just in uh, kind of, as we wrap up here, what are you doing now? How is that manifesting in your life, Paul, as a commercial real estate investor and operator? What are you doing? How can people connect with you? And how is that um, leading into the the increase that God has uh, destined all of us for? So one thing I did wrong over the years is I used to chase shiny objects. And if there was something <laughs> that looked profitable, I would go after it. There's so many examples of this. You know, I used to want to put on my business card, serial entrepreneur. But I would actually be really, really not wanting to put that on my business card if I looked over the course of my life and had the sense and the knowledge, I guess, that God's given me now. Um, You know, if you keep starting over all the time, you're almost always in more of a speculative mode rather than an investing mode, rather than being like Warren Buffett and having a circle of competence that you've honed over decades. And so, um, for example, I wanted to uh, build homes. I heard, you know, I thought that that would be really profitable. If flipping homes made money, then building would be more money, right? And so it's not real smart to build a half a million dollar home if you don't know how to tighten the doorknob on your own home. <laughs> but um, anyway, I did it. And uh, that was way back in 04, thankfully. But I actually should have made a $100,000 profit on that because it was on a waterfront a lot. And I instead lost like $40,000 and that guy Mm. stole my bulldozer. But anyway, that's another story. (laughs) But um, anyway, not, not really smart thing to do. So over the years, I keep whittling down my circle Mm. of competence, smaller and smaller, Mm. rather than more broad. And I realized like Buffett, it's really, really good to be good in a very, very few things. So Uh, My second book on real estate investing was called The Perfect Investment, and it's about multifamily apartment investing, and it's done really well. It's selling well enough that a publisher actually picked it up and wants to republish it uh, this year. It's in its third or fourth year now, and um, so that's great, and I was 
really committed to only doing multifamily. We were going to buy these apartments and do everything, you know, to operate, manage, et cetera. But I really found myself wanting to narrow that circle of competence down to a much smaller circle. And so I decided about two years ago to take a step back and say, okay, what I really want to do is create content for the real estate world. And that would be podcasts, books, live video, recorded video, and blog posts. And um, I want to actually find great investment opportunities. And I'll tell you more about that in a second. And then I want to connect investors around the country, around the world to those great investment opportunities. Now, so that's what we do. My company's called Wellings Capital. And what we do, a lot of people realize that the Forbes 400 wealthiest people on the planet almost all invest specifically in commercial real estate. But most people don't know who to trust or what kind of on-ramp uh, and to get involved. And so what we've done is we do a lot of teaching on how commercial real estate works. We have a, a free five-part e-course we uh, make available to teach people the overview of how commercial real estate works, why it's so powerful. And then we uh, allow people, friends and family to invest alongside of us. What we do is we vet the very, very best in class operators that we can in commercial real estate, specifically in self storage, mobile home parks and multifamily. We might add senior living someday. And so we allow our investors access to them. We negotiate better terms with those companies. And then we bring large amounts of money from a group of our investors to these operators. Uh, we bring, you know, a typical investor might invest 100 or $50,000, maybe $200,000, something like that. We bring them millions of dollars at a time. And so we get this better deal. We pass that along to the investors. We make a profit. And because these operators are so good at what they do, they're making outsized returns and with lower risk. And we're passing all that opportunity along to our investors as well. So I'm thrilled with what we're doing and uh, so glad to be, I feel like for the first time in many, many years, right in the center of how God designed me to be. Mm. Yeah, I call that the sweet spot. And I've got a yeah. whole chapter in the book on that and uh, some teachings on that. And it's so good when you're hitting that sweet spot. And <clears throat> I think um, just on a practical uh, note, getting a little bit more into the investment uh, specifics, uh, what, you're, what you're doing in other companies like you that I'm becoming more familiar with, it, it's such a valuable service because most people... Um, Typically, the way our society or our culture trains us is to get, quote unquote, diversified, which just means having a lot of stocks and bonds. You know, they're all what I call financial paper assets. And there's a place for that in people's portfolio. I've certainly profited from that. There's a place for that. But that is not true diversification. So having a real estate diversification, you need to be diversified not only within an asset class, such as stocks or bonds, but among and between asset classes. So hard you know, assets like real estate and within real estate, you should be diversified between maybe residential and commercial and all the different subdivisions within each of those. So I, but most people, real estate is not quite as regulated as the other ones. And there's a lot of opportunity, but there's also a lot of uncertainty and fear, which I had to overcome to get in this, you know, game. And so 
having an operator like you be able to navigate people through that where they can get a strong return that's got strong cash flow, strong appreciation or growth potential, and is a different asset class that has uh, what is called a low or even negative correlation to other asset classes like stocks and bonds is really, really important. And if I lost a lot of you guys and your eyes are glazing over, it's just, it's an important thing that most people I believe don't have enough familiarity and exposure to. So Paul, I love that you're doing this. Um, number one, that you have the testimony and the credibility that you believe God enough to actually give your way out of debt, that you've learned these amazing things about not despising who God made you to be hitting your sweet spot, that you're doing that now in a way that gives people uh, financial freedom and opportunity where they can pursue hopefully their life calling and purpose and not be held back by finances. It's a whole lot more to that, which, uh, you know, I, I like to talk about a lot, but if people want to connect with you and find out more about what you're doing in real estate or anything else, your books, your podcast, anything else that's going on, how can people connect with you? Yeah. Um, so they can get my book, the perfect investment on Amazon. My upcoming book on self storage will be published by bigger pockets publishing this spring. Uh, they can come to my website. It's wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com. Okay, great. So wellingscapital.com. And then you, I think your first book was How to Lose Money, right? No, actually, that's a book we are publishing late in 2020 or possibly in 2021. Oh, it's not out yet. Yeah, that book's not out yet. My first book was uh, about local real estate in Virginia. Okay. But if people go to wellingscapital.com, they can get access to all that and the podcast? Uh, yeah. Howtolosemoney.com is uh, the podcast site. If you want that podcast specifically, I've also been a guest on dozens of other podcasts, um, and those are mostly on our Wellings Capital website. Cool. So I'll put those uh, show notes uh, for those links in this episode. And I'd highly encourage you guys to connect with Paul. He's really uh, walking this out. He's a consummate entrepreneur. And as I talked about in a previous interview with Tim Winders, uh, don't ever punch, don't ever trust anybody who hasn't been punched in the face. And you've certainly been punched in the face, but you've gotten back up. And like Rocky, you've been triumphant. So um, I am so excited to get to know you more, Paul. And actually, I will be I just scheduled today talking to your uh, interview scheduler. I'll be on your podcast uh, April 1st, it looks like, talking about how I learned uh, how to lose money and got punched in the face and have learned from it. So guys, check out How to Lose Money, the podcast. Uh, you can go to howtolosemoney.com, go to wellingscapital.com to learn more about the investment opportunities. And uh, I will put those in the show notes. And lastly, as always, Paul, what is something you're believing for that has not yet manifested that you would like to put forth on the record, declaring by faith those things that are not as though they were? Absolutely. So I am very passionate about reaching unreached people groups with the gospel and also passionate about fighting human trafficking and rescuing its victims. So through my influence and relationships and speaking on podcasts like this one, uh, and through my own pocketbook, I want to raise a billion dollars to uh, reach unreached people groups of the gospel and to fight human trafficking and rescue its victims. Do you mind if I say something about that? Please go ahead. Do you know if you took the record profits, Ryan, the record profits of Apple, GM, Starbucks, and Nike, combine those together? 
doubled that number. That's the approximate revenues generated by human trafficking, they believe, every year. Wow. And it's stunning. I'd like to believe that if I was alive in the 1800s, I would be an abolitionist fighting against slavery. And if I was an adult in the 1960s, that I would have been fighting for civil rights. Well, this is a civil right, and it is slavery, and it's been ripped life and, and, and the pursuit of happiness has been ripped away from literally tens of millions of people. Hmm. Since we started recording this podcast, I would believe that about 600 people were taken into slavery. And so it's serious and it is something we cannot turn a blind eye to. And so I am really serious about getting the word out about this. Uh, I joined a friend who we are actually, we've got something put together. We're not raising any money for it. Uh, we're both in commercial real estate and we're actually building something called Freedom Place Project, freedomplaceproject.com. Uh, it's going to be a commercial real estate investment. We believe it'll be about a billion dollar budget wow. to build a, an office tower in Dallas, Texas. And of course, everybody will get paid, the investors, the architects, the builders, everybody will get paid like normal, but all the profits that would have gone to the developers will go to 100% will go to fight human trafficking and rescue its victims. Beautiful. So that, what was that uh, website again? Freedomplaceproject.com. And like I said, we're not raising any money or anything like that. Um, but uh, we do want to make people aware of what's going on. Well, that is uh, a great, very bold, prayerful ask. And certainly God, uh, it's not going to dim the lights of heaven for him to be able to do that any more than it was for him to do anything else he's already done. Um, so I am standing in agreement with you, Paul, a billion dollars to fight human trafficking and restore justice and freedom to those people who desperately need it, as well as that project and everything else that you're doing. So I believe, uh, you know, when you, in fact, our mutual friend who put us in touch, Mark Appleyard said something to me that really resonated recently. And I hope you guys all catch this. He said, is your budget going to determine your vision or is your vision going to determine your budget? And I think you have an outsized vision that is going to attract the resources that needs to happen for that. So I'm agreeing with you. Thank you for that bold declaration and your heart, Paul, everything that you're doing. We'll put these in the show notes. Guys, check out Paul, everything he's doing, and stay tuned for next week's episode of A Better Way. And uh, again, just wanted to celebrate this milestone, 50 episodes now, and we'll have some more information about the upcoming book. But I uh, can't wait to stay in touch and hopefully have uh, more to share on the follow-up to these testimonies and that declaration. So thanks so much for uh, joining us, Paul, and we will see you guys all next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Better Way Podcast with Ryan Haley. For more information and to discover more episodes, visit abetterwaypodcast.com or search us on iTunes, TuneIn, or any of your favorite online audio sites. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes or send us an email. Have a suggestion for who we could interview next? Let us know on our website. Finally, a Better Way is listener-sponsored. Help us to further the message of kingdom entrepreneurship by supporting us financially. You can give online on our website, abetterwaypodcast.com. Again, 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.